one of my favorite things to do, and this seems really stupid common sense, honestly, is if you want to appear for a certain search term, do a search for that word and see who comes up. And you can, you don't have to use, you know, $5,000 a month sophisticated tools, you know, to explore the results. You know, some of these tools do a lot of that, that's, um, that work automatically for you. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast, an auditory journey through the latest in marketing, branding, and advertising. Now, here's your Marketing Expedition Guide, Ray Allen. On this week's episode of the Marketing Expedition Podcast, I get to speak with Steve Wiedemann, writer, scientist, professor, and practitioner of search optimization. He lives, breathes, and eats SEO, SEM, and inbound marketing, and he's the author of SEO Strategy and Skills, a college textbook through Stukent. When he's not leading his team of SEO consultants for franchises, multi-location, and e-commerce brands, he's a cheeseball romantic, an entertaining dad, and world traveler with a passion for living life, embracing culture, and diversity. Before we get to Steve's interview, it's time now for our Marketing Essentials Moment, the basics that you need, the essentials that you need to help you continue building your brand and your bottom line. And this week's topic, I want to talk all about contextual advertising. So with the new iOS operating system 14.5, it is now apparent that all of the third-party cookies are going away and how we could use cookies to track our consumers' data and on our websites, right? And so Google, in the depreciation of these third-party cookies, basically is saying that um, they're going to move it out to late 2023. And so Google saying it's becoming more clear that more time is needed across all of the ecosystems to get it right. And so with giving more time to take those changes and make those changes come into effect, uh, you're gonna start seeing even more of those, you know, we use cookies and you have to accept them on the website, but hey, maybe those cookies are crumbling, right? (laughs) Anyway, but the thing to think about is how you're going to be able to understand your users and the, the customers who go to your website and what they do. So now it's going to be a different way to go about getting information from first party data as opposed to third party data, right? And thinking how you're going to use that information that you can collect from directly from, straight from the horse's mouth, if you will. (laughs) So thinking about how surveying and getting permission and doing all these things, I think that this next year, and this is now uh, October 2022, if you're listening to this, this is going to be, it's going to continue to evolve over time. But think about how you're going to be able to use alternative solutions like contextual targeting. And in that absence of the third-party cookies, contextual ad targeting will reemerge and used as a strategic tactic, um, easy for me to say, in being able to engage with consumers based on relevance. So aggressively testing and learning from your contextual targeting strategy will be able to then help you maximize success in the years to come because the way we did it before is just not going to happen anymore. So you got to think about how you can do things differently and be able to engage with your audience and, you know, (laughs) crumble those cookies that may be on your site that you can no longer or won't get to use any longer. So 
Um, it's going to be geo-contextual, real-time targeting, and how you can prepare to do that. And it's definitely uh, areas that we're looking into and continuously understanding how to use this the rise of geo-contextual and real-time marketing. And the death to the cookie has been basically something that's happening in the industry. And those third-party cookies that advertisers like us have used, now we have to do some things differently and find alternative ways to track and measure our results and understand the digital behavior across all of our websites and devices and mobile devices and all of those things, right? And since Google is banning that third-party use, it's really going to come down to relevancy and how you can understand your audience from a different way. And there's all kinds of resources out there. If you Google the demise of third-party cookies, you can understand all of these things that are happening in our world and understanding how you can apply first-party data instead. And then how you can incorporate that into your site and how we can prepare for that upcoming ban and how we can future-proof our strategies, if you will, on how we can continue to evolve and grow in our industries and all the things that we need to do in order to continue to connect with our audience, to understand what their needs are, why they buy from us, how they buy from us, and being able to use that information to our advantage so that we can get more soulmate clients coming through our brick and mortar or click and mortar doors, if you will. So thinking about the strategy that you're gonna put in place, how these impacts are gonna affect you and how we're going to need to continue to evolve and create our marketing plans and strategies around ways that we can engage in a different way and prioritizing our first party data that we get straight from the horse's mouth, as we call it, and, and how we can understand the data that we're getting, right? It's just one thing to get the data, but now we need to analyze it, understand it, use it to our advantage, use the contextual or behavioral targeting um, you know, and what's old is new again, right? Contextual ad targeting is back. It's something that had been done before, but then we got away from it. But now it's a way to be able to continue to leverage code that's inserted into your web page and you can display relevant ads from an advertiser, for example. And then that will then become sort of the new cookie, if you will. <laughs> and providing that relevance and comfort to our consumers who are increasingly concerned that they're being listened to or followed by cookie-based behavior targeting. So as a result, publishers in, in content may once again become king and provide our customers relevance in real time because content is king, right? So think about how you are going to do that and how you're going to invest in, in these processes that you will want to take into your marketing approach and how you will then be able to measure your exposure and how you're going to approach your target audience and get them actively engaging with you. So all that to say, if you want more information about that, we're de definitely digging into this. Feel free to reach out to me. If you want a 15 minute call to discuss what you've got going on with your world. And if I don't know the answers, I certainly have a lot of resources and a lot of wonderful people that I get to interview all the time on this podcast. And then of course our industry that we belong to, all of the associations and things that we do. And also from an academic perspective, I have access to a lot of things that way too. So reach out to me. You can always book 15 minutes of time with me and go to peppershock.com slash book 
dash Ray, and it's R-H-E-A, and uh, can schedule some time together. So peppershock.com slash book dash Ray. All right, let's get into the interview next. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen, and today we have with us Steve Wild Wildman. Did I say that right? <laughs> I like Wildman better, actually. My, my name's Wiedemann, but Wildman, I gotta, there I have go. to, oh my so God, bad, I have to totally change my name. That <laughs> sounds so go. much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Um, let's share uh, not only just how to say your last name, but yeah, how uh, a little more about you and what uh, you do and just so some background and some uh, story about where you came from. And then we're going to get into talking about some marketing things. So go ahead. Sounds amazing. We're definitely going to nerd out on some really crazy digital marketing things that I hope will help a lot of businesses. So my, my background, um, uh, post military from the nineties, uh, was in digital marketing. I really had a passion for, for building websites and helped a lot of small businesses and friends that were hobbyists and, um, decided, hey, I, I really enjoy the web and the internet. And so, um, you know, I, I managed to shift my my career at, at IBM into uh, working with moving what was a lot of print output to the web and uh, saved, I think, saved Pacific Air, our client, around 1.3 million. And I thought, wow, there's really something in this internet marketing thing. Went back to school and got my degree in e-business management and, um, you know, picked up my first, you know, official digital job. Um, that I applied for and actually got not, you know, where my way into um, at a company called Pacquiolan, which is sort of like Ticketmaster, but for a lot of college sports and theaters when you're purchasing tickets online and just continued down that path. Got picked up by a, a small entertainment company called Disney and I ran the paid and organic for Disneyland.com. Um, English and Spanish, as well as a new brand they called Adventures by Disney. And Adventures by Disney was a monster of an SEO task because it was built in this this pretty animated flash technology that uh, search engines like Google could not crawl. Um, you know, I, I did that for a couple of years, and you know, after you know the the two hour each way commutes, decided you know I think maybe I want to be closer to home. And with these two beautiful little girls that um, you know that are growing up so quickly, and so we decided. Let's stay close to home and just start consulting for businesses and word of mouth spread that, hey, there's this digital marketing guy who's, you know, pretty darn good at what he does. He used to work for Disney. And next thing you know, I'm I'm working with Skechers and public storage and, wow. um, you know, Belkin and Linksys and all these really exciting brands. And, uh, you know, at some point the agency started to come in and they said, hey, could you train our teams? And next thing you know, I'm incubating, you know, employees at an office two miles from uh, from our home and. Um, you know, look back 12 years later, and here we are, Wiedemann Consulting Group, a team of nine and managing about 30% of the top 10 multi-location restaurant chains and um, just just loving every minute of it. Now, I, I did have a dream uh, Ray, several years ago that one day I would teach. I thought I'd be teaching American history because that's what I really love. But it turns out I don't know anything about American history. And so one day somebody called me like, hey, this is, you know, so-and-so from um, you know, Cal State Fullerton, would you be interested in teaching an SEO course? I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm kind of busy and I really want to teach something else. Like, well, we need someone to teach it because it's, you know, part of the online marketing certificate program. Could you just do it for a term? 
you know, five years later, I've been teaching, uh, you know, an adjunct class now at, at Cal State Fullerton, two of them, one at UC San Diego and six different courses now at Fullerton Community College, all online, all sort of pre-recorded and, and self-paced for the most part. But uh, but that trans transitioned into there's really no curriculum for this stuff, right? So I I ended up, you know, connecting with Stukent and I wrote a textbook uh, for with my co-author Scott Kelly from University of Michigan. And here we are. Now I'm, you know, a published author with 35 universities using, you know, my textbook and and courseware through Stukent and having taught uh, about 1200 students, uh, you know, over the last, you know, four or so years and um uh, and running a really exciting um, very um, high energy group over here at Wiedemann Consulting. That was a long intro, but I know that's great. That's great, and no, I like the. I always love to hear the background stories of you know how people got to where they're at and and what uh, they're doing. And I applaud you for going longer than just one term as an adjunct. I've been <laughs> down that path. I'm teaching, and now next semester I get to teach two two classes. So I know what that's like. And <laughs> you saw how if they saw how lenient I was on deadlines and and things like that, they'd probably fire me in a heartbeat. But you know, every every rate my professor review that I look at, and I look at every single one tells me that I'm doing something right. So, you know, until they say you need to be more strict on deadlines, I'm going to say, how about you take as much time as you need to really learn and explore the material? Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. So, okay, let's, uh, let's dig in. One of the things that you mentioned that you would like to share with our audience learning from you, since you are the professor, <laughs> um, building a time-proof search marketing strategy Give our audience some some tips and things that they can use to help them in their marketing journey. Sure, of course. Yeah, we we um we want to talk about two things. I think the first, uh, like you mentioned, is you know what the heck is this SEO thing, and um, what's what what does a solid strategy look like so that you're not just doing SEO, you're not just doing Facebook and social media, and you know I'm I'm using the the cliche four finger doing right mm -hmm. um, <laughs> instead, but go into it with an actual roadmap. What are we going to do? In what order are we going to do it? How are we going to measure our results? The second part is some of the things that we we learned in a study we performed last year, looking at how to scale um, local search, you know, Google Maps and, and localized rankings when you've got two to 4,000 locations or maybe even, you know, 50 locations, um, but you've only got one person at the helm running SEO. He can't or she can't, they can't write, um, you know, 2,000 pages of content. That's just not, it's not practical. So we'll talk a little bit about what we learned and some things that you could do to scale without having to you know, to write 2000 pages of content. Yeah. Um, yeah so great. thinking, um, thinking big picture about a, a strategy and, and this, this is kind of a multidiscipline thing. If you're, if you're into digital marketing, or if you, if you're just starting to explore it, um, SEO and, and organic traffic is going to be the primary driver of all the traffic coming to your website. If you go into your web analytics program, you look at where traffic's coming from, most of it's going to come from Google and that's okay. We should still mix up our, our marketing mix a bit uh, and not just be super myopic on SEO like some of our clients are, uh, but we, we also need to know where to prioritize and search is the most evergreen way that you can drive basically free traffic you know, it becomes free after you've broken even on what you spent putting into it. Mm -hmm. uh, but SEO is, is super important. So there's three areas that we we focus around, just super high level. Uh, the first is just making sure when someone performs a query in Google or Bing or Amazon, wherever they happen to be searching for what you sell, what you do, um, that you've got a page of content that that's a good fit for that query. 
And when I say a good fit, that means better than the results that already appear for those searches. The second is going to be how visible you are off your website. Unfortunately, nerds like myself 15 years ago, that didn't have any sort of rule book to use, would navigate search in sort of a cowboy fashion. Anything and everything we could do to get our pages to rank. And eventually the search engines, Google in particular, came back and they said, you know, we see a lot of webmasters gaming our search results by doing some things on their website to make their pages rank better, but they're not necessarily better pages. Mm -hmm. So we want to look at signals off your website. We want to look at other websites that link to you, websites that are relevant in in um, topic that drive actual traffic and are just kind of set up by somebody in another country to have a page of content that gets no traffic. Um, and, you know, of mm -hmm. course, one that's that they can trust. So they look at those off-page signals, uh, you know, the off-page visibility is a, a voting mechanism. And, and being, you know, search engines, they think, you know, in patterns. So it's not like you can just go into SEO and say, okay, here's my 100 pages I need. Um, here's $10,000 and all the links I'm going to need. And now I'm done. I'm going to, you know, wipe my hands, put my feet up on my desk and just watch the money come in. It doesn't work like that. Right, it's not it's a be... one and done or a set it. And no, it. not at all. Going. <laughs> yep. Right. So the third part that that most SEOs miss and some SEOs stubborn and stuck in their ways will not listen to is the importance of user search behavior signals. That means when somebody performs a search and there's 10 results and you're one of them, if more often than not, they don't choose you as the best answer, Google might start to infer that maybe your result wasn't very helpful, mm. or they go to that page that, that appears for the query that you're trying to appear for, and they have kind of a confusing, frustrating time navigating the page. They're not really sure what to do. They don't really trust the, you know, the author of the content. They're, they're just you know, not feeling the page, right? They're not having a good, as Google calls, a satisfying experience. Then they end up returning to the search results and they choose a competing listing. And enough of that pattern happens over time. And again, Google starts to infer maybe this wasn't a good result. So the way that we've always sort of articulated it is when someone asks, how long does it take for me to rank for a given keyword um, in the search results, in Google in particular? We mm -hmm. tend to say, look, if it's an established website, and you create a really good, helpful, um, high converting, you know, landing page, um, it's probably going to take you about two to three months to appear somewhere on the second page, you know, once Google crawls to that page and sees how important it is. And then as other websites start linking to it and referencing it, and maybe even, you know, using some of the, the short summary or summary at the top as, um, you know, as a reference point, which could play into that little featured snippet you see in Google, um, Google starts to say, okay, cool. I trust this page within six to eight months. You're on the first page of Google. And then you're stuck there in position nine, banging your head on the desk. Why can't I be number one? You know, and as I told, you know, Terry back in 2006, when I was working at Disney and he said, Hey, I'm, you can't ring for SEO expert. And I said, watch me. And <laughs> I sat there at number nine. He's like, well, you're not number one. You know, I had to go out and I had to get people to search and thank them for clicking on me if they clicked on me, not asking them to do so because I don't want to manipulate the results, but I wanted to um, to thank those who did decide to click on my listing because they made an impact in showing Google that I was a relevant result. A few weeks later, I was number one for that term, wow. held it for about 12 years um, before I realized I was kind of getting blacklisted from the industry for doing it, but but it proved how important search behavior signals are. And so now, you know, as as you know, um, a digital marketer or a business owner doing digital marketing, we need to make sure every month that we're asking ourselves, you know, the 
the basic questions. Uh, did did I do something this month to make my pages more helpful and satisfying than competing pages? Did I do something this month to get other websites to reference and share and link to my content? Um, did I do something this month to improve the click rate of my listings in search results? You know, by adding you know some code behind the site to show stars in the results or to show questions and answers below my listing to show a video or image thumbnail next to my listing, you know, to amplify my overall visibility in the search by having images and videos in the different carousels that exist in today's, you know, search results beyond just blue links and black text. So those are those are fundamental to, you know, if, if you're getting into any sort of SEO strategy, those are three areas to focus on. But to build the strategy itself, right, you're, you're going to need a few different audits. And the first one's a technical audit. You could download tons of free tech audit templates all over the internet. Just do Google searches. You could also take our course at Academy of Search. Um, you know, Ray, your, your listeners can use code SEO Steve to get a $600 program for free if they want to. It's going to evolve in the next few months. So jump in there if you can. Uh, but in that, I include all the templates that we use when we build a strategy. The technical audit gives the webmaster something to work on um, that addresses you know, how fast our pages load and addresses security, privacy, accessibility, mobile friendliness, and something Google talks about a lot in, in regards to page experience and, and what they call their core web vitals. Um, next is going to be a competitive analysis. I can tell you there's nothing more frustrating in the world than looking back a year later and bragging about how great traffic is and having your boss, your employer, your client come back and say, well, where were we when we started? And not having an answer because you forgot to create a baseline comparing mm -hmm. where you are to the competition and showing how right. you evolved. So that competitive analysis is super important. Proof in um, the performance, right? Showing showing that proof of performance is is really yes. helpful for sure. And monitoring what the competition's doing, right? It's mm -hmm. like like uh, well, what were they doing a year ago? Oh, I forgot to record what they were doing. So <laughs> right. yeah, it's really helpful to have that baseline. Um, like you said, it proves yourself and it proves your value. The the third thing that we look at is the off-page signals. What what is uh, what are our competitors up to? How are they driving links to their website? I've seen some really creative things like KFC used to have some, some really fun creative campaigns that would uh, attract thousands of links. Um, Applebee's uh, mm -hmm. offers free meals for Veterans Day and get it gets sites like military, you know, .com and va.gov to, you know, to link to them to share the the free meals promo. They do things to give back to the, you know, to the world, to the community, to, you know, certain um, charities and like IHOP will do a national pancake day and, and give, you know, pancakes away in exchange for, you know, donating money to help, you know, kids. So there's, there's all sorts of ways that you can do good and, um, you know, and, and have it result in links. But the way I, I generally start a link strategy as you're putting that together, are like quick wins, what are some things I can do right away? that are gonna make a difference. And I think number one is, is gonna be, look at all those links that are coming in that go nowhere. All those broken links that you find in your web analytics that say page not found in the in the title, uh, go back to those pages and redirect them to the best corresponding page so that when search engines are crawling the web, they don't end up on a 404 page and not give you any value. Instead, they get redirected and they pass that value through the redirect to boost your keyword rankings. So look at those broken links. Are websites out there mentioning your, your company or people at your company, but not linking back to your website? 
reach out and say, hey, it would be amazing if you could, you know, make the mention of us clickable so people can learn more about us and go to our site. Mm-hmm. You know, and that way you're asking for a link without asking for a link. Um, you know, there's and then there's tools that you could use like um uh, SEM rush and Ahrefs. We like to run this thing called a link intersect. It's one of our favorite techniques. We take the the top ranking pages in search results and uh, and we find out where they're getting their links from. Then we put all of it into an aggregate report. We sort it by some of the metrics that are provided in those tools, and then we hand it off to somebody to do some outreach and say, "Hey, you're linking to so and so. We'd love to work with you." and you know, and, and get you to talk about us a little bit, you know, would you like to learn more about our company and how we could work together? And, and then we go down that, that outreach path, right? What do you do once you figured out where you want to get links from? We generally start with a four-phased approach. One is, you know, get them to reference something we did, maybe do a little bit of ego baiting on a, on a page, you know, to get them to want to reference it Two, cross promote, say, Hey, is there something we can do to support each other? You know, we did that with an agency uh, platform this morning and we said, hey, let's let's do some things together to help promote each other. Uh, next is going to be to just, you know, to contribute, basically. So if they won't reference you and they don't want to cross promote, just give them some content. Hey, we noticed you haven't written anything on your blog around this topic in several months. So we put this together for your site. Let us know in the next 72 hours if you want it or not. Um, because if not, we'll give it to you know one of these other websites and list a few of their competitors. <laughs> and like, no, 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 we want it. Give it to us. Um, you know, and as a contributor for giving them that content, you get attribution in the author bio. Um, you know, so there's all sorts of cool ways that you can do that. And the last one's like sponsorship. And be really careful with that though, because we don't want search engines to think we're buying links. And sometimes sponsorship can look like that. So reference cross-promotion, contribution, and sponsorship are the approach types we use when we're going out and achieving links. And then, and Ray, the last, I know I'm rambling a bit here, but the last part of that strategy, and and maybe the most important um, as, as you're kind of putting your plan together, I know what I need to do for tech, give that to the webmaster. I got my baseline report. Uh, I know what I need to do off my website. I've given that to my social media and PR teams to work on. Now we need to figure out what the heck content I need on my website and how it should be organized so that I can maximize how much traffic I get from search. And that's where we get into keyword research and ontology and taxonomy and um, and really taking the time, sometimes as much as you know three to six months to take all those keywords we learned about from our existing data and search console and search query reports from paid ads. Um, and then the third party tools uh, around what competitors are getting traffic from and what those keyword gaps look like parsing out any of our competitors' brand names because we're not going to rank for those, segmenting by intent. Is this person, you know, looking, um, you know, performing a transactional query or an informational query? Are they looking for, you know, to answer a question or to purchase product or a service, you know, and, and then really breaking that down into what later becomes your sitemap. And, and that's probably the most complicated and difficult, most time-consuming part of a really strong strategic SEO strategy. And, um, and the most important, because once you have that roadmap, all you've got to do the rest of the time you're working on SEO is just check boxes off, right? You put mm-hmm. all of them into your project management system. We like monday.com and then just start chipping away. And that when you've got that strategy done, the next thing you, you definitely got to make sure you're doing, because it's going to be great to see all that traffic coming in, but you'll want to measure, you know, the, the results from it. So we, we like to use different platforms. We like conductor searchlight for enterprise brands to measure our keyword rankings and see content opportunities and uh, look at our share of voice and market share. Uh, we also like to use SEMrush. Um, 
they've been working on their enterprise solution as well. Um, so really excited to kind of see where where they go. I actually got to meet with the product manager a couple of weeks ago and and cool. and put some whisper some secrets in his ear about what we want. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but uh, but it's great because then at any given point, you know, you can be asked the question. And and by the way, I'll share I'll share the template with you. We use to track our key performance indicators after the call, so you can mm-hmm. you can share it with whomever. But what what's kind of fun to watch is when you're a consultant and you're in a room with an agency and the you know, the key stakeholders ask the agency. So we've been working together for six months now. How are we doing with hitting our KPI goals? And you hear, oh, we're doing good. Oh, really? Well, what percentage close are we to hitting them? What are the numbers and and how are we doing? And there's always that, that you know, deer in the headlight stare of we're not really <laughs> tracking KPIs or know what percentage. And so we put together a little tracker that takes all the things we just talked about, the links, the, the technical SEO, the market share, the, the traffic, the revenue, the leads that are coming in. And every month, you know, we record them. And at the end of that, that uh, spreadsheet, you can see a couple columns. What What's our goal and what percentage close are we to hitting it? And then some conditional formatting. So if it's red, you know, we know we need to kick things up on links or we know we need to, you know, speed things up on technical SEO, if we're going to stay um, in the pace to hit those KPI goals. So I think that's probably the the, the most important takeaway of, of strategy is being able to, you know, transcend that into some sort of a tracking mechanism for the key performance indicators that you're using. Right. Okay. I was I'm rambling and rambling forever. I feel like a jerk. <laughs> I want to let you jump in and then we'll talk about local. Well, no, I was just going to say, I love to call them kept promise indicators because then it's like, oh, you said that you were going to do this and deliver it. And then now, you know, proof in the performance. So kept promise indicators, KPIs. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm writing that down. I'm going to steal that. That is so good. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. So it is, it can be overwhelming, right? I mean, so just kind of, you know, how you broke it down step-by-step, just, you know, start with the strategy and then the link building or the, you know, being able to get links and, you know, like you said, be careful of sponsorships because they can look not what you want them to as far as, you know, buying links and those types of things. But gone are the days where it was, you just tried to cram as many keywords on a page as you possibly could, (laughs) right? And and now you have to be strategic about that too. And like how you build a page out and what you make relevant. And and so let's talk a little bit about the structure of, of what does work for when you are trying to think about, okay, a blog post or a page on your website, like what are some of the, the things to think about when you want to go about putting content on a page? You know, what's too much? What's not enough? What What's going to damage what you do versus what's going to be really super effective? Absolutely. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm so glad that search engines like Google and Bing are caring less and less uh, about really kind of old school techniques that we use as mm-hmm. SEOs. Like, mm-hmm. hey, just make sure you shove your keyword in your title, your description, your H1 tag and your H2 tag and use, you know, 3% keyword density of that term and you should be number one. Like, okay, goodbye, 2003. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. We don't do that anymore. Now, now we can focus on, you know, telling our, our customers everything we know they need um, to make a good decision about whether they should purchase from you or continue down the the, the path of exploring what you have to offer. So um, one of my favorite things to do, and this seems really stupid common sense, honestly, is if you want to appear for a certain search term, 
do a search for that word and see who comes up. And you can, you don't have to use, you know, $5,000 a month sophisticated tools, mm-hmm. you know, to explore the results. You know, some of these tools do a lot of that, that's, um, that work automatically for you. I throw in mm-hmm. a Disney word there, but, but, you know, if you, if you just do a manual, you know, view of each of the pages that appear in the search results, just take a Google sheet or an Excel spreadsheet or, you know, whatever Mac uses these days and, um, and, and do um, uh, basically a row for each one of the 10 listings that appear in the search results. Um, Take a screenshot of what the listing looks like. So you can see if they're using stars and questions and answers and have other rich results that we might want to test um, record the title and the description, uh, record the, the heading and subheading words that are used. So take all those, you know, those headings and subheadings and put them in their own columns, mm-hmm. record the image name. Do they have a video? Yes or no. Um, you know, how fast does the page load? Get a, get a pretty good idea. Like use some of those metrics around speed and, uh, core web vitals to kind of see how their pages perform versus, um, you know, the page that you plan to create to, um, you know, to compete against. So now, now you're, you've got a way to study all the topics and subtopics that the competition are using to appear in the search results. Now you don't have to be out in right field saying, I want to rank for this keyword. So I'm just going to write up a page of fluff to appear for this keyword. Now you can write a page of content that, that takes an account and aggregate of all of the top pages that appear for that search term and provide the best helpful content because you're not just taking from the top listing, you're learning from the top 10 listings to build an outline that encompasses all of the different things that that Google believes are important to users that are performing that search. So that's that's probably the most easiest thing that you can do. It is time consuming. I've spent probably five, six hours doing this, just mm-hmm. exploring the content. Uh, I'll use some extensions. I have a, like in Chrome, I have some extensions that I, I, I like to use to get a little bit more deeper on the types of, of markup they're using to provide those rich results in search. Um, I've been using one recently called SEO Pro extension. It's kind of this neat little uh, Chrome extension. It looks like a maple leaf. And um, and I can click over to the the markup tab and see what types of coding they're using behind the scenes. And I don't need to be a coder. I just need to know what they're using and go to my web developer and say, look, some of the top performing pages use this code on the back end of their website. I, I'd like to test some of that as well. And you give that to them and let them do the coding. Um, you know, and and so it gives you a way that again that you can address the the content needs of what your customer is looking for, and also the coding needs to compete against the t- the sites that already appear. You know, we there's here's another little uh, acronym for you, case. It's it's a case yes. study. Uh, copy and steal everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how we. That's how the internet was connect, was was created. You know, I didn't I didn't write my first web page in in Notepad. I I right clicked and, and view source and copied all the the tables and stuff and then made it my own. As we learned, it's mm-hmm. CSS Zen Garden. You know, was you know was uh, a place that helped us build the groundwork for tableless design during an era where we're creating you know really heavy you know code heavy pages using tables mm-hmm. and uh yeah i think you know there's and there's no way to copyright that either there's you know there's been a lot of lawsuits where people are like you you copied our code I'm like no you can't copy layouts and and mm-hmm. how pages um you know are designed you can only um copyright images and um 
You say you, you, you use their page for inspiration to create your own. I mean, right? That's it's it. Just the, the, you could the, have closed your eyes and still come up with it. And they and, could have come chances back are, and they probably did the same thing. So <laughs> nobody starts from zero anymore, right? There's, there's no one that just says, all right, uh, HTML, open tag title tag you know they they copy from a framework or they start with a template in you know whatever website building solution they're using or they're simply using a out-of-the-box template that you know that's available for free in wordpress or wix or somewhere else you know right plug and play anyway. just insert your answers and <laughs> there you go but that does it you know the next thing i would do too is, is ask your customers you know but even if you're just going to put up a, a little light box on on the page and hit 10 percent of the people who visit um, or just go back to your customers and say, hey, we're doing a contest this month. We're trying to do better for people who use our website. If you'd be willing to participate, you know, we're going to do a giveaway and give away a $100 Amazon gift card or something. And then just ask them, hey, is this, mm -hmm. um, is this page give you all the information you need to make a good decision? What would you like to see improved? Um, you know, maybe use a, a heat map and watch them use the page, give them a, a coupon code to buy a specific product um, and watch how they navigate the page on their mobile and on multiple devices. Probably the the iPhone number one, because it's still the number one device at the moment. But I think Google Pixel is about to knock them out of the water with the seven, <laughs> but we'll see. But um, yeah, and then and then if, if you don't get enough data from that, use something like Mechanical Turk by Amazon and maybe survey a thousand people at five cents each and ask them, you know, which which page is the most helpful and why? And list the top page that shows up in Google and then list your URL. They won't know which is which and they won't know who's ranking for what. They're just going to see two URLs and they're going to explore the pages and say what they like or not like about each of them. Take those, um, create a column for theme and go through each row and, and give each row a theme. Then run a little pivot table and the ones that have the, the most, the themes that have the most um, user uh, feedback are the areas to start. Maybe it's the colors, maybe it's the font size, maybe it's a button, you know, that's hard to find, right? Or, a, you know, a, a shopping cart that's hard to use, whatever. Um, I think it's a great way for you to address user behavior signals, improve conversion rates, and create a more satisfying experience for people who are looking for helpful content. Absolutely. Now it's time for a message from one of our partners, Kitcaster. Did you know that podcasts are a great way to grow your personal and business brand? And Kitcaster is a podcast booking agency that specializes in developing real human connections through podcast appearances. We've had several guests from Kitcaster on the Marketing Expedition podcast as well. So if you're an expert in your field, have a unique story to share, or an interesting point of view, it's time to explore the world of podcasting with Kitcaster. You can expect a completely customized concierge service from their staff of communication experts. Kitcaster is your secret weapon in podcasting for business. Your audience is waiting to hear from you. Go to kitcaster.com slash expedition to apply for a special offer for friends of this podcast. So, okay, now that things have changed, I mean, the algorithms can constantly change all, all the time, but it used to be that you would want to update and put new information on your website at least once a month, right? But but now it seems like you want to consistently do it. Give me an idea of now what's a good sort of rule of thumb to continuously, you know, update your site to get new information on there so that the, you know, the bots will, will scroll it again and, and index and all the things that happen to continuously build and grow 
so you're not just setting it and forgetting it, but give me an idea of what would, if, if there's an entrepreneur listening or a marketer listening, how often should they be updating their sites? Sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about, about the frequency of content. Right. And, um, and it's sad because there's some business owners, like if I don't create fresh content, I'm not going to rank. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and while fresh content, if you do have blog subscribers can be really helpful to them because they like, you know, consuming the kind of content that you're sharing is still a great way to attract links and, um, you know, and to, uh, to get people to share your brand and build brand awareness. It's not a hundred percent of an SEO requirement. Um, it's more important to pay attention to the pages that, you know, drive the most business for you and attract the most links for you. So whatever program you're using, to monitor your keyword rankings, to monitor your share of voice for the keywords that you like to appear for, to monitor, you know, and find new keywords that your pages aren't appearing for that could play into your your content updates, you know, data-driven approach as opposed to let's just keep it fresh. Let's Mm -hmm. actually find the search terms that we could be appearing for and augment our existing content to include them. Um, I think it's isolating those those top pages or top categories if you're e-commerce website mm-hmm. and monitoring those like a hawk. I have a client who sells luxury watches and I think he's got, I think it's like 12 categories um, that are super important to him. And if he moves down one position, he knows by looking at the analytics exactly how much that's going to cost him based mm-hmm. on his conversion rate. And in some of them, because they're luxury watches, it could be as much as two hundred to $300,000 a day that wow. he could lose in revenue if he moves down from position one to position three, for example. So really, really important, you know, to, you know, again, not to you know, rest on your laurels, but instead to, to kind of eyeball what the competition's up to. I use a tool mm-hmm. called Visual Ping, Visual P-I-N-G. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you get up to five queries for free if you want to goof around with it and I don't know, I probably spend $7 a month or something super cheap. And and what I do is I set up an alert whenever a competitor changes their version of the page that I'm trying to appear for, for my top 10 to 20 pages. Um, that way I can kind of monitor and watch a public storage, you know, the, the stakeholders there every month wanted to look at an appendix on our, our slides every month that included what changed on the competition's website. And I swear they studied those appendix pages more than they did the actual search results because they were so curious about what the competition's testing and what they're doing, both in desktop and in mobile view, because we can't be, you know, um, one or the other. We have to pay attention to both. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, so I think I think that's important. I think if you take those top priority pages um, study the search terms that those pages are getting traffic from. Study the search query reports from your your uh, paid advertising, paid search advertising, to find new opportunities to improve what search terms and topics that we need to address. Um, and paying attention to the results. If you suddenly find in the top ten that some new listing showed up at position five out of nowhere, study the page. What's different? What's better? What's more interesting? Run your survey again. What do you think of this page versus this page? And incorporate those things. So you do need a dedicated um, role or person, even if it's only a couple hours a week, whose job is just just go in there, study the data from the the past month and the past week versus the the prior month and the prior week, and and make suggestions to improve the quality of that content. And again, we're talking mostly about lower funnel um, sales content on, on the upper funnel side of things, you're going to have, you know, a, a monstrous roadmap of content you could create, whether you're using answer the or you're drilling in 
to intent features for informational versus transactional in SEMrush or Conductor Search Slide or whatever tool you happen to be using, you're going to have enough content to write for a lifetime with all the what, who, where, how, why, strategies, tips, ideas, checklists, uh, et cetera, um, you know, that you're never going to have to worry about new content ideas. It's more about just knowing which content is the most important. Um, for Applebee's, I'd, I'd mentioned the Veterans Day page. You mm-hmm. know, being a veteran myself, I take a lot of pride every year in what we're doing to try to make that page better than the previous year um, because I know it can attract a lot of links. It can help a lot of veterans and it can provide a lot of brand awareness for the company. Man, I'm getting hungry now. <laughs> I love Applebee's. <laughs> I want to ask, how how important is having video on, on a page? I mean, it's one of the things that we do at Pepper Shock is, is video, but I video marketing is kind of its own world even in, in search engine. But tell me some maybe examples where video has helped in, in SEO. Um, I think I think it's a controversial topic too. Uh, every mm-hmm. Every time we've used video, we've seen value in it. And then Google comes out with all these core updates and, um, you know, and it, and it makes it really difficult to try to embed a video on a page and still hits Google's own core web vitals, even when you're using their video from YouTube, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I think, um, I think in every example that we've had a video, it showed search engines and users that we have more diversity of the types of content we're offering. Instead of just paragraph subheading, paragraph subheading, paragraph, paragraph, list subheading, right? We've got video and and rich images that are unique to the page um, that aren't being used anywhere else. And so I, I think... I think video can be a great way to augment your content. I can tell you back when, and, and they're starting to do it again, where they're putting video thumbnails and search results mm-hmm. at Belkin. One of the, the things that, that we were doing was um, at the halfway point of the video, because again, this was like 10 years ago, uh, we put in a thumbnail that looked like a product listing with a white background. And so our listing, instead of it being a blue link and black text, had blue link, video thumbnail and black text. And, nice. and we stood out and we got all the clicks, mm-hmm. uh, but we can never get above position four because of how they were displaying video. And we ended up eventually taking it down, but we did see some, some pretty significant growth and we saw our click-through rates go through the roof. Now they even did this years ago with their uh, author rank thing, right? Where, where Google's allowing you to use an author thumbnail and our, our, uh, our mugs were in the search results, you know, as, as authors. Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of funny. They canceled it because of low adoption, but our click-through rates went through the roof mm-hmm. because we had visual stimulation. So I think when a, when a user visits a page and, and you see this more and more now, you see audio on pages where you can listen to the page, talk about a win for accessibility, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you're driving, you're doing something else. You don't want to read the post. You can listen to it now. Um, having mixed media like that, having audio, having video, um, gives users different ways to, you know, to to consume that content. Gives them more variety, and it gives a little bit more authentic authenticity to the brand. Instead of you being a mystery brand full of words and text, now they can put a face to a name and see, you know, characters and personas of the folks that work for or with the, you know, the the company that's sharing the content. So I am a huge proponent of it. And in every little guide that I put together, it always says unique image named after the primary search term you want to use with an alt attribute that describes the image and maybe incorporates the keywords like to rank for. So we show up in that universal search and a video. Um, I think in doing that, if you perform that same search we were just talking about a few minutes ago, instead of just seeing 10 listings, we're going to see video carousels, image carousels. Um, People also ask areas where our FAQs can, can be incorporated. Now they see our brand 
four or five times on a page, maybe even doing ads and they're seeing them six times on a page. Now they're like, this must be the dominant brand because I see their, their images. I see their videos. I see their ad. I see their organic page. This is the brand I should probably be working with because they're everywhere in this search result. So I think having, having video doesn't just provide a better experience, but also gives you more of the real estate in the search results if optimized appropriately. Yeah, I absolutely love when they have the little thumbnails and the search results now. I mean, once once Google bought out YouTube, that did happen. And some of the things that we looked at uh, when we produce videos, we may have the same video, but post it twice on YouTube and then test out the different headers and keywords that we're using and, and all of the, the things that you do with video marketing. And then you see which one gets more traction in your efforts. And then that's the one that you want to put on your page, right? On your website. So then it, it gets more results anyway. Yeah. <laughs> video videos definitely, I think, um, and it's evolved because now we create things audio agnostically, meaning that you can still understand what's going on in the video without hearing it. And, you know, making different ways to go about it. And of course, TikTok has exploded and now there's new ways to drive traffic to your site from TikTok. <laughs> That's true. And I'm, yeah. I'm still trying to figure it out myself because it's such <laughs> yeah. a new medium and I'm such a, you know, um, a extroverted <laughs> introvert, you know, that I know if I did it, I would immediately be a ham. And I just like, I got to figure out a way to, to leverage it where it's natural and not me just trying too hard to be a marketer. So we're, we'll... We'll, we'll figure it out as we, you know, as we start. <laughs> There's your next book for you. You can, you can figure out TikTok and how to <laughs> <laughs> drive traffic to your site from TikTok. But uh, actually, truth be told, I had my, I've had, I've been on it for a couple of years. I don't use it a whole lot, but my 12 year old son at the time, he's now 14. Uh, he's the one who had to show me how to use it. So <laughs> I had to use it because I've got a, a 16 and 17 year old and the, the 16 year old was on it a lot more than she probably should have been. And so I had to monitor what she was up to. I'm like, no, don't, why, why are you posting this? Please take this. You're 15 years old, you know? And so, yeah, well, if you have an hour to kill, you'll be on TikTok for a while. I'm like, I'm just going to do, you know, I'm just going to check in. And then an hour later, you're like, why did I watch all of that? <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I, I read a book in November of last year by Cal Newport called Deep Work. And coincidentally, I, I read the book at the exact same time that I watched The Social Dilemma. And, and it immediately, it immediately got me to uninstall all my social media apps from my mobile device. Wow. So that during the day I was, I was less distracted when I'm with my family, I'm less distracted, but I still have all that social media on desktop. And when I give myself breaks and I grab coffee, I'll toggle over and look at what's happening. If people have tagged me or talked about me, uh, but I probably spend about 10 minutes a day on social media now compared to what was at some point. Um, nearly two hours a day. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it was revolutionary for me. And again, the book's Deep Work by Cal Newport. If uh, anyone's listening and want to try to give yourself a little bit more uh, of seeing the world and not your phone for a few more hours a day. Right. Yeah. Now, and, and now on the iPhone, you can set, you know, do not disturbs and set screen yep. time and you can set yourself up with alerts and take advantage of the fact that, you know, you can self-regulate how much you're on <laughs> 
<laughs> so amazing. That's great. Absolutely. Okay. So I uh, have just a couple more questions for you. This has been really fascinating. And thank you so much for sharing all of these wonderful yeah, nuggets and tools and amazing things. And we're actually going through a website, rebuild, update, f- refresh, if you will. So this has been very timely for, for us at Pepper Shock because it's, it is a lot to understand all of the latest and greatest and what you're supposed to do and not supposed to do and and what you can, you know, what's going to help you with ranking and, and all of those things. But I'm, I'm curious, I want to know what's next? Like, what do you see into the future? If you had like this crystal ball and you could predict, make some predictions, what's kind of going on? I mean, we've got voice uh, search optimization now with all the devices, the smart devices. And I mean, I just, uh, I'm curious and like with meta and I mean, all of the different ways now that, that people can engage and, and absorb their, you know, their news and information and, and all of that. But what, what do you see in the next, I don't know, six months, two years, five years, 10 years? What, what do you see? I think I think the um, the passion a lot of us SEO nerds have uh, for the next six months really rests in in uh, getting more exposure through things like Google Discover. Um, it is continuing to address how our clients are starting to adopt voice. You know, it's been an ongoing challenge for us for a while, and the the biggest challenge with it has been teaching clients how to teach their consumers how to use voice mm-hmm. appropriately. You know, you hear a lot of them. You know, use do commercials and and try to trigger their their voice devices, but they're not teaching them how to how to do e-commerce. Do you, do you know if a, a brand that you use has ever did a commercial and they've showed you how to use the uh, you know the Google Assistant to purchase an item uh, from their store? They just don't do that. Even the biggest brands, Target and Walmart, um, you know, have voice apps that are, that are out there in the Google Action Console and in Alexa Skills. Yet they're not training their consumers on how to use those tools. They're just teaching them to go to the website and order takeout or delivery. Thank you, pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but I think I think the emphasis is going to continue to be around, um, you know, our search appearance. It's going to be improving the 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 girth of content that we're able to off, offer on our pages without making it overwhelming for the the reader. Uh, while also addressing more of the universal search results, um, because Google's getting a little bit better at, you know, trying to provide, you know, like, like they started in 2013 with Hummingbird, they wanted, you know, more um, things, not strings. And and that, now that they're getting smarter and and helping users get more of what they are intending to find, as opposed to, you know, um, you know, just search results, uh, I think I think we just have to get a little bit more. Um, open-minded to different ways that we can have our clients and our, our websites appear in search results and and get a little less myopic around the blue link black text strategy. I think that's that's the next six months is how do we get those featured answers? How do we get into Google Discover? How do we um, start uh, planning ahead for you know a, a voice search world in you know three to five years from now? I think that's where the next six months is in all our brains. And you'll you'll see a lot of that featured snippet optimization, helpful content optimization. You see a lot of that kind of language happening. But the way to really know and not, you know, just listening to one SEO nerd rattling off is, you know, create a create like a Twitter list of all the top industry experts, those folks that speak at conferences, you can look at the conference, you know, uh, speaker lists uh, and create a Twitter list and follow that stream throughout the day and see what they're talking about, see what they're sharing, see what they're liking and retweeting. Uh, It's a great way to stay in the know and to follow the rabbit hole down to, you know, what's what's going on right now in search and what, you know, the, the experts are really thinking about. 
you know, you just brought up Twitter and it just made me think of hashtags and, and you know, how hashtags are becoming a thing. And, and it just oh, is interesting because you can search hash, hashtags, right, on all the socials. But I, I'm starting to see them on people's websites. Is that does that mean anything to have a hashtag on your on your site? Um, you, you know, if you do a explicit query where you do quotes and hashtag, you could probably find uh, maybe people are doing this. I haven't really looked at Google Trends to see, but now I'm curious yeah. if they are doing a search for specific hashtags in Google, for example, um, and you've got that hashtag in um, in context, an exact match query could result in your page appearing and not a social network. Hmm. So I'm curious if if that's what they're trying to do. But um, I'm definitely going to find out now. because yeah, something really new curious. we'll have to look into. <laughs> yeah, but try it. Go to Google, go to Google and, and put in yeah. quotes, hashtag something, and see what shows up in the top 10. If you see some websites coming up because they've done that, then, gee, maybe they're ahead of me. That sounds pretty I interesting. Know. I don't know that it's You're a good read. something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good read for a user to see a hashtag on a blog post, but who knows? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, especially if people misspell them. I think that's the most common thing that's misspelled anymore is hashtag. <laughs> Because you can't use spell check with it, you know, <laughs> you have to be really careful. So I also have a lot of students listening to the podcast and you uh, being an adjunct professor yourself. Um, what are some things that you say to your students when they, because my, mine are upper division, they're getting ready for the real world, if you will. What are some things that you wish you would have known before you got into this path that you did that they could now benefit from hearing from you? Um. I think I think the biggest thing you could do is is do your time for free, right? Find some local businesses, some charities, some some organizations that you could help. Take these templates that you get from me or from other consultants or from Google searches. You know, put your your strategy list together of what you would do for an SEO program, and, and do some for free. You know, that put in the ten thousand hours so that you become an expert through repetition. Um, learn how to delegate. Some of the things that you you might find to be very repetitive, find some folks offshore that can do some of that grunt work for you, some of that research work, so that you can do more of the analytical and organizing and presentation work for your clients. Um, and then find some experts that can be your go-to. I've got, I don't know, probably 20 different you know past students that still come to me, you know, uh, on some on a daily basis with just simple questions. Hey, could you take a look at this? And did I do this right? And um, and I'm happy to help because, you know, they've they've always, um, you know, shown a passion and an appreciation for what, what you do. Um, so, you know, find find some consultants, some industry experts that can be your go to to help mentor you to uh, to be the expert that you want to be. And you might find after doing it a few times that, hey, I don't like being, you know, an extroverted introvert. I don't want to know, um, you know, code and and behavioral patterns of uh, of searchers, you know, and I'm not interested in algorithms. Or the other way around, you might get addicted like the rest of us in, in SEO um, and find yourself racing to the top of the search results for a, a keyword and and get really addicted to it. So um, I would say start there. Start with building some strategies, doing it for free. I, I must have done probably 50 websites for free in my first few years of doing SEO just to get the practice. And I was glad to do it because I was so interested in it. Um, so I would start there. Um, and then, you know, don't don't do it alone. Have someone at your your side so that you have someone to ask questions to and you don't break anything. Uh, but uh, but there's plenty of us out there. There's plenty of Facebook groups uh, with other SEOs. I've got a search marketers club as well. Um, it's free. You can jump in and talk to top SEOs and ask questions. And we love to share. So um so find those those folks, those groups, those experts. Pick their brains, you know, and 
uh, make sure when the the time's appropriate that you know that you give them some referrals here and there too so that you know it shows that you appreciate the time that they spent with you right absolutely yeah what goes around comes around it's reciprocal <laughs> i love it Excellent. Well, this has been very informative and I really appreciate all of the wonderful things that you shared with us. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch base on real quick? Ray, I know we only have like five minutes left, but I know we (laughs) wanted to talk just briefly about uh, scaling multi-location SEO for maps. I do have a page on our website at Wiedemann.com. W-I-I-D-E-M-A-N.com. It's the very first link in the navigation at the top. and, And it's around building pages for local SEO, but it also talks about a lot of the signals that you would pay attention to for ranking in Google Maps beyond proximity, which you can't control unless you can somehow beam your business to where the person's searching. (laughs) So um, it's something I I definitely encourage you to explore. You do address it a little bit differently. You know, you do focus around making sure that your business information is correct everywhere it needs to be. And that list is on the page. Uh, It it also involves, you know, making sure that you've got a page for each location and maybe even some sub pages. If there's an IHOP near you, just perform a search for breakfast specials in the city that you're that that IHOP is in, um, or breakfast delivery or breakfast takeout. And 85% of the time, you're going to find an IHOP um, location subpage that we created and optimized. So mm-hmm. if you want to get kind of an example or a case study of of what a location page looks like. I think it's a, it's got a good start. There's a lot more that we'd want to do. And you can see that in the infographic that we have on the page that actually shows you what we feel would be a perfect design for your location page. The third thing would be around making sure every month there are um, other websites that are mentioning the business name, address, phone number, so that Google can work like Pac-Man and, and collect all these pellets every time it finds your name and give you points for it, your name, address, and phone number. Um, And then the last part is paying attention to business uh, reviews. So get a tracker going, um, get a tracker to to track the quality, quantity, and velocity of reviews that you get from Google, from Yelp, um, from all the places that your customers are leaving reviews. For lawyers, that might be lawyers.com or Justia. Uh, For restaurants, it might be Restaurant G and um, TripAdvisor. Um, make that list and then create a couple other tabs in that workbook for your competitors. That way you can measure how you're doing versus the competition and make sure that your quality, quantity, and velocity is always uh, above what the competition is. And if you pay attention to those four things every month, you're going to consistently see growth in your keyword rankings in the the Google Maps and the Google Map 3 pack. So that's something, and again, if you want to explore that page, um, it goes into extreme depth. Um, It's so so much depth, in fact, that the page won a Web Excellence Award last year for the work that we did. And it's written in a way that you can go to your boss when they say, well, why should I do that? You can say, well, according to this study, we'll have 104% competitive advantage if we do this thing, as opposed to just a table of data. Wow, so, that's good. That's anyway. great. And congratulations. That's that's a, that's awesome. Thank you. It's, I love that's, it when that's it's what happens when you're addicted to stuff. Effective. You're well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate everything that you're doing. And we'll definitely have to check out the book that you've written too, or part, or, you know, co-authored. If anybody is interested in reaching out to you, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Uh, we're super easy to find. You, you can find me at SEO Steve pretty much everywhere. It's been my tagline for like 20 years. Um, and then the team, if you just want to pick the minds of the other folks on the team, uh, on social media, we're just Wiedemann everywhere. W-I-I-D-E-M-A-N. And we love challenges. If you're not ranking for something and you want to know why, um, hit us up because you know we we love to to reverse engineer what's going on. So send us your your keyword ranking challenge, and we'll see if we can solve it. Excellent. 
Thanks again. And then for those of you who are listening, if you would care to share this with others that you know that need to hear what we had to talk about today, please do. And then, of course, reviews and rankings and ratings for us, too, would be awesome. (laughs) All right. Sharing is caring. That's right. Sharing is caring. And then until next time, everybody, enjoy your marketing journey. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Want to continue the journey? Don't miss out on new episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.